Well, hello, everybody. It's wonderful to have you with us. I pray wherever you are that you and everyone here, I pray that you know that God is with you exactly in the place where you are. Well, what is Impactors all about? Well, let's go and have a look at the screen. Look at this. Impactors is a faith community, it, and it is the community of the Catholic Guy Ministry in multiple locations around the world that shares the same vision, mission, purpose and culture. We're the same group of people no matter where we are, whether we are in another country, another city, another place, it's the same group of people that if we turn up, we would meet people who have the same heart, the same desire and the same purpose. Well, I had a fascinating experience in the last couple of days. My eight-year-old granddaughter, Aubrey, who is beautiful, she's beautiful, she told me about her parents who on the weekend took her and her sister to a very nice hotel. And, and uh, she'd not been to a very nice hotel before. As a matter of fact, her mum and dad decided to surprise her and, and they went to the hotel and she didn't know. And she was excited and she was telling Rosemary and I all about it. And, and then she said, you know, and you know what? She said, and she got very animated about this. She said, I even saw a luggage trolley. Now, we all know what a luggage trolley is, that you put your luggage on. But, and and when, when we began to talk about it, she got even more animated because she said, it's just like in the movies where there's this luggage trolley and you, and you see them in the movies and on television. Now, I go to hotels on a regular basis uh, for various things, and to be honest with you, I'm completely blind to luggage, to luggage trolleys. I just don't see them. You know why I don't see them? It's because I've used them a few times. They're just common, and they're not new to me, and, and I'm just completely blind to them. But for little Aubrey, she was most excited, and it took me by surprise that she was. Well, her older sister uh, was taken by uh, her uncle and auntie uh, out, and what she wanted to do is she wanted to go to a Starbucks. You know, Starbucks cafe, uh, Starbucks coffee. And for some reason, this was big to her. And before she was going away on this little trip with her uncle and her auntie, she, she told everybody that what she was going to do and what she was going to have when she went to Starbucks. And when she gets there, she sends photos to everybody of her having a drink at Starbucks. Well, I don't know about you, even though I like coffee, I don't know that I get that excited about Starbucks. I don't know. I was recently just in Tulsa in Oklahoma, and my attorney, lawyer for the ministry, he said to me, he said to me, he said, you want to go down and have a coffee at Starbucks? And we sat down in the corner and we had a chat and a talk and everything else. And to be honest with you, it was more about the company than it was the fact that we were at Starbucks. But for Little Eden, Starbucks was, well, so exciting. And when you haven't done things before, things can be tremendously exciting. Can any of you remember when you get a new car? It doesn't matter what's a new car or a used car or a, or a pre-owned car, as some, sometimes they say. When you get that, 
I don't know about you, but I always stop and say, I'm going to look after it. I'm going to treat it nicely. It doesn't matter whether it's brand new or it's been pre-owned. And it's going to be wonderful. And then over the years that you keep the car, all of a sudden something turns and the conversation changes because you begin to think about it's time to get a new car. And, and your love and your familiarity with what you've had for a long time, all of a sudden you begin to... Well, think to yourself, it's maybe time nearly to get a new car, to get a new car. Same with the television set or anything that we get for that matter, isn't it? When we get it first or when we're looking forward to getting it, it's always so exciting. And then something happens where all of a sudden it gets old and we want to replace it and that which we were excited about, well, it just becomes familiar. Rosemary and I recently celebrated a wedding anniversary. And as I often share, I remember all those years ago, I was just in my early 20s, and I met Rosemary, and it was fantastic. Seriously, she was young, she was cute, she fascinated me in every way. I'd not really had a really serious girlfriend before Rosemary. It was fantastic. And want to know something? I meet lots of couples who talk about when they met exactly the same. And I meet couples who years on say to me, this is what it was like. And then we fell into, well, routine. And then we just began to get interested in our things. And even though we live in the same house and we eat at the same table and we watch the same television set and we sleep in the same bed, our love in some sense has gone dry. Many people, that's the reason why their marriages come to an end. Because something happens where that initial newness becomes stale and loses its freshness. Something can happen to us when we become familiar with things. My older, one of my older granddaughters recently went on an aeroplane. And she was telling me, she hadn't been on one for the, without her parents, and she was telling me how nervous she was going on the airplane. She, and she said to me very seriously, she says, I don't like flying. No, I don't like flying. You know, and, she, and she hasn't done it very often, but this was the first time she'd flown by herself, and she was saying she didn't like flying. Well, I remember when I first took my per- first plane flight, I was talking to someone um, at the office the other, uh, the other day, and he said to me he didn't make his f- first plane trip until he was 26. Well, I flew for the first time when I was 19. Many kids fly a lot younger these days. And I was a nervous flyer. I still remember the first flight, to be honest. It was an all-night flight, flying from one side of the country to the other. And I was nervous, and, and I didn't know what it was going to be like, And, uh, well, it's not like that now. Uh, Just before COVID, and I was travelling a lot, we did a little bit, we we did some calculating, and and we calculated that if you averaged out the flights over the space of all the takeoff and landings that I did within a year, every second day I was catching a plane. And where once I was nervous, now I literally walk onto the plane, I sit down, And I can be sound asleep before the door is closed, before they have done the safety presentation, and then I wake up an hour, hour and a half into the flight, and I always have to see how far we've come. What was once something that was new has become familiar to me. And familiar in such a way that 
It isn't special anymore. If anything, it's just a mode of transport. Um, you know, we can become familiar with God. We can. We can become familiar with God. People can become stale because of the mystery and the awesome power of God and who he is, and that the newness can be lost. And we see some people who are enthusiastic about their faith in God when they begin, some, who lose it over time, who lose it. Well, I'm going to start a brand new series today, a brand new series for all of our impactors all over the world. I'm starting a brand new series called How We Follow Jesus. And I'm going to marry this up with our daily devotionals, which are which is, the current series is called Knowing Jesus. So I'm going to do these two things together, how we follow Jesus and knowing Jesus in these next few weeks. See, because I think people can dis be disconnected to who Jesus is, and I think people fall away because they become disconnected. Maybe you, your whole life, like me, have been going to church. You, maybe you're someone who doesn't miss all that often. You go pretty much all the time. That's pretty much me. I've really missed uh, going in my life. Being a Catholic, I go to Mass, and pretty much I know the routine. I know everything that's going to happen. I know when they walk in, walk out. I know what's going to be said. I know when you sit down, uh, kneel down, stand up, sit down, kneel down, stand up, sit down, kneel down. I know. Want to know something? Because I've done it so many times. And, and none of you would be like this. But sometimes I can get to the end of being at Mass. And sometimes I can walk out and I go, I wonder what just was said and happened in that past hour. I know none of you would be like that, but that's me. I go through the routine because I have a sense of obligation that I'm meant to go, but it can be something far off for me. I was talking to some of my friends from other Christian denominations who talk about the praise and the worship, who talk about the opening of the scriptures and the, and, and, and the message that's given, the testimonies that are shared. And I've talked to some of them who've said, you know, some days I leave and I wonder what just happened. Because we become so familiar. We become so familiar. Why do people become familiar? I think there's two, two reasons why people become familiar with God. Number one is monotony. We've just done it so often. Sometimes it's just monotonous. It becomes routine. Routine to the point of we don't need to think. I think another reason why people become familiar with God and faith is because they, people never had an encounter with God. Never had an encounter with Jesus. Um, I, I, I was talking to an 80-year-old lady only in the last few days who said to me, I never knew, I never knew that God could speak to me. Until I met you guys, I never knew that God wanted to even communicate with me. I thought that church was about obedience, keeping rules, and paying money. And if you did both, you got a good score, and you'll get to heaven one day, and they'll say, hey, come in. I never knew that there was anything about having an encounter with Jesus that was real, that was personal, that was malleable, that was fresh, that could touch me. You know, I think one of the reasons, additionally, why people become familiar is that sometimes people just didn't know or don't know 
there's so much more. There's so much more. And in this series, I want to talk about the more. In this series, I want to talk about how do we go deeper and deeper and deeper um, as we go. Um, uh, what happens is that we begin, if we don't come into a deeper relationship with Jesus, if we don't come to the realisation of what it's all about, is that we begin to serve not God, but we serve attendance. I'll turn up. I'll be here. I'll come. And so what we're doing is we're keeping the rule, the rule that we hear that we're meant to keep, uh, but, but it's not something that touches us. And, and very often, it's an empty practice. So how do we find God? How do we find God? How do we listen to God? How do we hear God's voice? Well, I want to go through the scriptures and I just want to dwell in some passages of scripture today so that we can just hear what the scriptures talk to us. Now, allow the scriptures to speak. Listen, listen to me, but listen to the scriptures. Allow the scriptures to speak to us. Allow, allow the scriptures to speak to us. Um, allow the scriptures to speak. This is from 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah was this great prophet. And Elijah, were, and, the, and the prophets often would come to the people of Israel and they would say to the people of Israel, hey, listen, be obedient to God, but people would be disobedient to God. And Elijah is having a moment where everyone is turned away and he talks to God and he says this. At that place, uh, he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. I've been very enthusiastic for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they're seeking my life to take it away. So here's Elijah, he's in this cave, he's in this place of despair, he's in this place of being hunted. They've killed everybody else. The people who've turned away, they've, they've, they've uh, killed everybody else. And now they're after him. And he cries out to God and speaks to God. So God says to him in verse 11, he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. That'd be a pretty strong wind, wouldn't it? To, to be breaking rocks and splitting mountains. But the Lord was not in that wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord wasn't not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, what are you doing here, Elijah? See, sometimes when we go out to seek God, 
When we go out to find out what, the, what God is about, many of us are so busy with sometimes looking in obvious places, sometimes looking in those places that we thought God would be. And yet sometimes God is in the still, quiet place present to us. That God is in different places than the obvious places. Because if you think about it, wind and earthquakes and fire, these huge manifestations that you would think, well, God would be accompanied with those things. But God is in that quiet, still silence. In that quiet, still silence. Um, See, there are people who look for God, but they're looking in the wrong places. They're looking in the wrong places. Have you ever asked yourself the question, where have you really looked? Or are you one of those Catholics, one of those Christians, who turn up to church because you thought that's all you had to do? That's all you had to do. When God is seeking so much more. When I was younger, I met a Catholic priest. And as I have shared very often, he was a man who would say to me all the time, Bruce, God wants to have a relationship with you. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. He doesn't want to have a relationship with you through your school teachers from the Catholic school you went to. He doesn't ever want to have a relationship with you through your parents. He doesn't want to have a relationship with you through the priests at the local parish. He doesn't want to have a relationship with you through the holy people that you know. No, no, he wants to have a relationship with you. And it really rocked my world when he began to talk that way because it had never occurred to me that a relationship with God was between me and God. Somehow it was about the whole group. It was about people more special than me, people who are holier than me. And he changed my world and changed my view. In John chapter 1, verse 35, we read a fascinating passage of Scripture. Here we have John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the greatest, uh, was the great Old Testament prophet, the last of them. And he was the one who was walking around saying, repent, repent, you know, someone greater than me is coming, get ready, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he was baptizing people with water, symbolizing the washing away of, of, of their sin. And yet it was never enough to go get all the way. He never had full ability to wash everything away. And John the Baptist, one day in 1 John chapter 35, we read this. The next day, John again was standing with his two disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, look, here is the Lamb of God. Now, what do we mean by the Lamb of God? See, through history, the Old Testament people have sacrificed lambs and goats and given the best of their products uh, and, and the things they had because there was a sense the people of Israel knew, the Old Testament people knew from, from the scriptures that existed and from the experience of their lives that something wasn't right, that they had turned from God and they so easily turned from God. And so sacrifices would be made, but the sacrifices were never enough to atone, to make right, to be complete. And even though they sacrificed lambs and goats, here was Jesus, and John the Baptist recognises him. 
And John the author recognizes him and says, here is Jesus, the Lamb of God, the one who will be sacrificed and will atone once and for all. Again, from the beginning. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And when Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, what are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher. He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. So John the Baptist recognises Jesus. He says to him, he says, here's the Lamb of God. Here's the one who will seal the deal. He'll get everything right. No longer will we need goats and sheep and the best of our products to make up, to atone, because they can't. But this one, this Jesus, he is. And, and, and we read, and we read in, in verse, uh, verse 35 again, it says, the, the next day John was standing with his two disciples and he watched Jesus walk by and he exclaimed, here Look, here is the Lamb of God. It was almost like John had this encounter, John had this knowledge, John had this insight. John knew. John wasn't about attendance. He was about knowing, and he was convicted, and he knew it for himself. John realized Jesus was the sacrifice that would take away sin. That he, no matter what he did, no matter how much he called people to repent, he was not capable He couldn't do it. In verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Do you realize that the only way many of us ever come to Christ is because someone takes us? The only way that we come into an encounter with Jesus is because someone takes us. Someone tells us. Someone says, go that way, walk that way, be that way. Someone takes us. Again, verse 37, the two two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. What happens if John the Baptist hadn't spoken? What What happens if John the Baptist hadn't invited them? Maybe they would never have followed. Maybe the reason some members of your family, hardcore question now, you know, a sensitive one, no one wants to really answer. Maybe some of your family don't know Jesus today is because you didn't tell them. Maybe. Maybe some of the people you work with don't know Jesus because you haven't told them. And until you start doing the telling... They're never doing the coming. They're never. The first step to encountering Jesus is to be inquiring and inquisitive. Look at that verse again. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. So someone can point, but you've got to be inquisitive enough. You've got to be inquiring enough to go and say, what about me? What about this for me? When I was young, the way I got there was because I decided to turn up. I, you know, it was never served on a plate to me. I wasn't lucky. I wasn't one kind of, I'm the chosen one. I have faith because God loves me more than others. 
No, 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 I had to go and be inquisitive and inquire and to see. Often that's what we all need is we need that inquiring inquisitiveness to see, to investigate, to find out. In verse 38, it says, when Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, what are you looking for? Isn't that fascinating? When Jesus turned and saw them following, these two guys following, he said to them, what are you looking for? Right? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher. Um, see, see, here's the thing. Jesus sees us. Jesus sees us in our questions. Jesus sees us in our searching. Jesus sees us in our difficulty. Jesus sees us in our struggles. Jesus sees us. Jesus sees us. Jesus sees us. And what does he say? He says, what are you looking for? Another translation says, he said to them, what do you want? Another translation said, what are you seeking? Jesus saw. Jesus saw. Uh, and what do they say to Jesus? They say to Jesus this. They say to Jesus, uh, where are you staying? Where are you staying? So what are you looking for? And Jesus says, well, where are you? And, Jesus, and then they said to him, well, where are you staying? Um, they don't say to him, listen, can you give us your philosophy on this or the teaching on, on this? They don't say to him, listen, can you tell us all about yourself? Uh, they don't stop and say to them, can we get in? Are we acceptable? Could we be on your team? They don't say that. They don't stop and say to him, listen, I've got these problems. Life's not too good right now. Can you give me some advice? They don't say any of that. <laughs> they say something that appears strange. Where are you staying? Imagine if you met a stranger today at work or at the shops and they came up to you and said to you, so where do you live? And you didn't know who they were. We'd all kind of go, oh, I'm not going to tell people I, I, don't want to, I don't want to get broken into. I don't want there to be any trouble. But they come to Jesus and they say, where are you staying? Because what are they saying? They're saying this, is where, where we live says something about us. Where we live says something about us. Every one of my staff, if I go to their homes... Every one of their homes says something about them. If they're younger, it might say something about, about their financial resources at this point in time and what they can afford. If they're older, it might say something about what they truly value is important, whether it's things or not things, or people. Where we, where, where we live, where we stay says something about us. It's an insight into us. Uh, uh, where we stay says something about um, it says something about who we are in the deeper part of us, in terms of our values. Um, where we are, where we're staying, says, and where we are, says something about the way we do things. What's our way of doing things? And um, also, where we say, where are you staying? It's about, it says something about what it's like to be around you. I went to someone's home, and their home once was was so beautiful and everything in it was so expensive. Which, and it was beautiful. I felt frightened to walk through the house for fear I would break something, knock something over, touch something. But, and yet their home was beautiful for them. You know? 
And Jesus' response is, what does he say when they say, what are you saying? He says this, come and see. He just says, come and see. Look at this in verse 39. He said to them, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying, and they remained remained with him that day. So Jesus' invitation was, when they say, he says, what do you want? They say, well, uh, where are you staying? He says, well, come and see. Come, come and see. Um, he doesn't tell them to do anything. No, he doesn't. He just says simply, come and see. In other words, he says to them this. Listen to this. He says to them, you are acceptable how you are. Come and see. Come to my house. He says to them, you are acceptable Come the way you are. He says to them, you are acceptable. Come with all of your questions. You're acceptable to come to my place. Uh, He says to them, come with your unchanged lives. That's okay. You're acceptable to come. He says to them, come with all of your sins. That's right. Come with all of the things that you're doing that, well, I won't agree with. Come. He says to them, come with how you are living, why you are living, where you are living, whom you are living with. Come. In other words, he says, come and hang out with me just like you are. I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I thought I had to be acceptable to God to hang out with God. I had to be this good person, this pure person, this sinless person. But that doesn't seem what Jesus said. He didn't know anything about him. He just said, come. Come follow me. Oh, he may not have had any intention that they would stay in that place. But he didn't have a precondition upon coming. Upon coming. I was once talking to someone who went to church. And they weren't keeping all the rules and they said, I feel people are judging me here. And some people have said they don't want me here because they know my circumstances. That doesn't seem to be what Jesus would have said, does it? Jesus knows that it's in his presence that we will be changed. So his invitation is, come hang out with me. Come stay with me. And if you will just stay with me, Something will happen to you that is beyond your ability to do it to yourself. Jesus knows that we are truly changed when it's free, when it's our free choice, when we are saying, come, we'll be with you, and we allow it to happen to ourselves. In John chapter 14, verse 2, it says this, In my Father's house there are many dwelling places, If it were not so, would I have not told you to go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there there you may be also. Now, Jesus is, this is just before Jesus ascends, goes back up to heaven. And he's saying, hey, I'm going to dad's house and I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Verse 4, and you know the way to the place where I'm going, Jesus says. Thomas goes, so Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, 
You will know my father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Where is Jesus' house? Where is Jesus staying? He's staying with the Father. And he says, come and see. His invitation is to come into the, into the relationship of God himself. And we can stop and go, well, that's not terribly practical. But if you hang out with Jesus, you can't help but get God the Father. You can't help but get Jesus' home. In John 15 verse 4, it says, Abide in me as I abide in you. Be part of me as I'm part of you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. In other words, you can't be part of what God's purposes and plan is in the world and God's life if you're not part of me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Life goes well when you're in me, with me. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. For God is the author and the giver of all life. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What Jesus is saying is, just come. Just come. Just come and inquire. Just come and hang out with me. Now, some of you are saying, so how do we hang out with Jesus? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. In John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus answered him and he said, those who love me will keep my word and my Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Where Jesus is going to come and stay is at our place. He's going to come and make his home with us where we are. See, when Jesus says, come and see, it's an invitation into the life of God. When Jesus says, come and see, it is an invitation into the life of God. The love of Jesus and the Father towards each other is what we are called to be. When we come into who Jesus is, we are introduced to the Father. And the love between the Son and the Father is so great that it bears this thing called the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And we, when we follow after Jesus and says, Jesus, I come to you, Jesus introduces us into this family, this family of God. And everything, everything, everything comes to life. So how do we come and see? Because some people are saying, that's all well and good, but I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, right? And I'm going to tell you what to do. And it's not just my idea. This is the history of the church. This is the scriptures that tell us this. This is wise women and men through history. And, and, and have you ever had a teenager who wants to figure it out all by themselves? And you tell them what is wisdom, and they go, yeah, but I think I can do it my own way. I've found in the spiritual life, sometimes it's people who are much older who are just the same way. In other words, they're teenagers in their spiritual life. They stop and go, I can do it a different way. And they find excuses for it. So how to come and see? Number one is be present with and to Jesus for 15 to 30 minutes every day. Now, some of you go, whoa, what do you mean? 15 to 30 minutes every day. And how would I be present to Jesus and to be with Jesus? 
It's easy. It's easy and it's hard all at the same time. And it's this. As, as, as holy men and women through history who have a great relationship with God say, just turn up. Just make a decision that every day that you would spend time with God. You'd spend time with Jesus and talk to Jesus. Talk to Jesus about your life. Talk to Jesus about your hopes and your dreams. Talk to Jesus about your sadnesses and those things that break your heart. Just spend time with Jesus. Just be with Jesus. And what do you do in this time? The second thing is just be still. Sometimes we feel we've got to be so active. We've got to have all these words to say. We've got to have these formulas to do. We've got to do these things. But just be still. Just be still. Right? Don't ask for things the whole time. Don't stop and go, well, God, can you give me this? Can you give me this? Can you give me this? Give me this. I've met some people who say the only way I can pray is to ask God for things. But no, no, no I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how do you learn to abide is by being with Jesus. Rosemary and I have been married for a long time. And there are days when we just have these moments when we're just together. We were lying, we woke up at about three o'clock in the morning a few days ago, and we both woke up at the same time. And we started talking to each other at three o'clock in the morning which I appreciate for some people is a strange thing to do. And, and we were talking about our grandchildren. And we were talking about how excited they are about these things that I've been telling you about. And then we were talking about the fact that those things no longer thrill us. And Rosemary made this comment. She said, we're getting old. We're getting old. And she doesn't mean old, old. What she means is, what she meant was, those things that once excited us, those things that were once fresh and new and never known, have become familiar. And, 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 and there's something about knowing. And, 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 when, and as we talked, we were so excited watching our grandchildren having brand new experiences that I'm not sure that that was even more of a bigger thrill for us than we even experienced those things for the very first time. Listening to their excitement, but now understanding. And those same things that excited us when we were little and first time round for ourselves. But now there's a joy to knowing. There's a joy to knowing. And sometimes it comes in the stillness of being just with Jesus, of just being with Jesus. Um, and when you get to that place where you stop every day and you say, just say, ask Jesus to come to you. That's number three. Ask Jesus to come to you. So you say, Jesus, would you come? 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 See, there's something that I've learned about this is that you have to do it over a long period of time. You have to be committed to doing it over days and weeks and months to be able to truly say, I abide in him. Because it goes beyond knowledge because many of us fall into the trap of knowledge. 
we fall into the trap of if I know more about God, if I know more about religious things, or if I know what I believe, you know, you hear, you hear people say that, tell me what I believe, that somehow that will answer it. It doesn't. Encounter comes from being, from being with Jesus. And I wish I could tell you that it was instant. I wish I could tell you that it was euphoric instantly. But it doesn't appear to be that way. Oh, there are moments where it's fun and excitable. But true relationship and true depth and true knowing comes through time. If you were to tell me something about what that had something that happened to Rosemary, I pretty much could tell you right now what she would be feeling. Because we've been together for a long time. And if I can do it to Rosemary, she can do it ten times better to me. She's just so much better at it than me. You know? It comes through time. And when you get to this place where you're present to Jesus for 15 to 30 minutes, never be less than 15, but you can be longer, 15 to 30 minutes every day, to be still, just stop and go, I'm still. I'm not going to be active in it. You ask Jesus to come, then do this. Then listen with all of your senses. Not just your mind, not just listening with your mind, but listen with all of your senses, with all of your emotions with all of your feelings, with everything that is you, with your whole heart, soul, mind and strength, listen and be in that place. God, I'm here today and I'm with you and I'm with you. It's not a time for reading. It's not a time for reading. It might be full of distractions because sometimes we can just be distracted. It might be when we're restless and every two minutes we want to get up at times and that's okay. Um, Sitting with God is sitting within, within your life and what you're going through. If someone's just died, you're going to sit with that. If you, as a friend of mine, is facing very serious surgery in the next few days, you're going to come and you're going to sit with that. If you have just got a brand new job and you're excited, you're going to sit with that. You bring that and you sit with where, where you are. Um, you sit with where you are. And it's time that will make it worthwhile. So in this series that I'm going to do, in this series that I'm going to do, that I, that I have called How We Follow Jesus, and in the daily devotionals series called Knowing Jesus, I'm going to help us sit with Jesus and be in those places of reverence and awe, those places of encounter, so watch this space. We're just beginning this journey. And anyone who is a mature Christian knows, and I don't need to tell you, that the exciting part about a series like this is that for all of us who've been going for a long time, there's so much more because Jesus, because God is infinite. Loving God, we come before you today. And Lord God, as Rosemary makes her way here right now, to come and to take up our offering, offering of our lives to you. We, Lord God, right now in Jesus' name, say to you, Lord Jesus, come to us. Be with us. And Jesus, may we know you as we sit with you and are with you right now in your precious name. Amen. I'm here to take up our offering. 
an offering where we give honour and praise to our God. It's part of our worship to him. Have you ever heard the phrase where Jesus spoke and said, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfil the law? It's a little bit weird. And we focus so often on the word law. Oh, great, more rules, more laws, more things to have to do or not to do. But let's focus on the word fulfilment. Jesus said, I have come to give you life to the full, to give you complete satisfaction, completeness. Doesn't that intrigue you? To have complete satisfaction in your life? Isn't that what we all try to attain in whatever we do? Well, King David was sharing with the people of Israel about qualities of the Lord. And he was saying, ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe means your what belongs, what quality belongs to the Lord. And it's in Psalm 96, verse 7. And it says, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. So he's talking to everyone. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. It's not like we're giving the Lord glory and strength. It's already a quality that is of him. Our Lord is of glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. And then it states something that we can do. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. Tremble before him all the earth. Bring an offering and come into his courts. He's inviting us to have relationship with him. And to come into this wonderful splendor and glory of God, bring an offering. Bring an offering of yourselves. Spend time with me. But also, we know that we have things that God has given to us. He's created us to work hard. And in our work, we, we earn reward. We earn our keep. We earn wages on the earth. And God said, bring these offerings as part of my, your worship to me. And come, come and get to know me. Come into my courts. Come and find this satisfaction, this complete satisfaction. And come and worship the Lord in his splendor. So we're invited to bring our offering. Now, if you're online, you can go to the Give tab. And right now, you can bring some of your offering to the Lord. And you can, in this Tell the Lord, share with the Lord, I want to know this complete satisfaction. I want to know this fullness of you, O oh God. And if you're in the room, you can actually fill out on the card. You can go to the resources desk and or you can, as we pass the buckets right now, you can give an offering to the Lord because just as the glory of God is ascribed to him, it's a quality that belongs to him a quality that belongs to people who follow Jesus is of giving of ourselves, giving of our offering to him. So let us right now give to our God. Why don't we pray to the Lord and ask the Lord to be here with us.
Loving God, we come before you and as we give our offering right now, Lord God, that will advance your purposes in the world that would reach another person so another person could come into that encounter with you. Bless us. Work in us. And Jesus, we ask that you would be the center of our lives, that we would encounter you more deeply as we sit with you, as we walk with you, as we live with you. Allow us to know you more and more and more and to be transformed by your presence. Bless us today. And we honor you and glorify you and give you thanks for who you are. And Father, we make this prayer in Jesus' name through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us. I look forward to seeing you next time. And don't forget, wherever you are, God is never far from you.